This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The governor of Luhansk, a region in eastern Ukraine, insisted that nobody is going to surrender Severodonetsk, the industrial city which has become the front line of fighting. Russia claims to have liberated the residential suburbs. But Britain's defence ministry said Ukraine appears to be holding the city, despite it being surrounded on three sides. At least 800 civilians are said to be sheltering in a chemicals factory full of highly explosive material. Angela Merkel, Germany's Chancellor from 2005 to 2021, defended her record of dealing with Vladimir Putin. Mrs Merkel has been criticised for pressing ahead with the now mothballed Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline meant to link Germany and Russia. But trade with Russia could not be ignored, she said. She defended her opposition to a plan from 2008 to bring Georgia and Ukraine into NATO, which, she said, would have been tantamount to a declaration of war. The OECD, a club of mostly rich countries, projected global growth would slow to 3% this year and 2.8% in 2023, sharply down from its previous forecast in December. It blamed the war in Ukraine, which has exacerbated already high inflation. On Tuesday, the World Bank issued a similarly gloomy outlook. Meanwhile, Janet Yellen, America's Treasury Secretary, said levels of inflation there have become unacceptable and urged both fiscal and monetary action to combat it. Voters in San Francisco opted to recall, oust, their district attorney, Chesa Boudin. In a city often taken to exemplify liberal America, Mr Boudin represented the progressive movement to reform criminal justice. Crime rates held steady through his term, but conviction rates for some crimes faltered, just as the public's appetite for tough policing picked up the mayor may replace him with someone more moderate. Credit Suisse, a Swiss bank, issued its third profit warning this year. It predicted a loss in the second quarter, driven by poor performance in its investment banking division. The bank blamed Ukraine-driven volatility and inflation-driven monetary tightening for the loss. Bloomberg reported that the bank is considering layoffs to cut costs. Its shares fell 7.6% on the news before recovering slightly. Malaysia and Turkey joined a growing list of Muslim-majority countries to protest against statements made by a spokesperson for India's ruling party, in which she disparaged the Prophet Muhammad. The Hindu nationalist Bhatia Janta Party suspended Nupur Sharma on Sunday for her comments, which were televised on May 26. Now right-wing Indians are irritated that the government has not stood behind its anti-Islamic rhetoric. Target, an American big-box retailer, lowered its profit forecast, saying it is holding too many unwanted goods in stock. Three weeks after reporting lower-than-expected profits in the first quarter, it said that inventory rose 43% last quarter, compared with a year earlier. Demand for outdoor furniture and appliances declined faster than expected. Other retailers are also straining under excess inventory. And fact of the day. 685 million. The number of gamers in China. Now they're battling 33 million South Koreans for dominance of esports.
And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Rebuilding Ukraine with Russian money? If you add the Russian central bank's currency reserve, subject to Western sanctions, to the value of other seized goodies, such as superyachts, nearly $400 billion worth of Russian assets have been frozen since the invasion of Ukraine began. And according to the Kiev School of Economics, the economic damage to Ukraine is around $400 billion. To many, therefore, the idea of using those Russian assets to compensate Ukraine for war damage seems irresistible. Such a plan faces high practical and legal hurdles. For individuals to have their assets confiscated usually requires conviction for a specific crime and evidence that the assets were an instrument of it or linked to the proceeds from it. Western leaders want to expand the list of crimes that warrant seizure, such as avoiding sanctions. But getting consensus will be tricky, and even the confiscation of state assets would require Western governments to designate Russia a hostile power, which they have shied away from doing. The Gupta Capture from the great train robbery to the looting of $1 billion from Iraq's central bank by Saddam Hussein's family, the record books have no shortage of massive heists. But surely none would compare with the allegations of South Africa's state capture, monumental graft involving at least 49 billion rands, $3.2 billion worth of public contracts, being routed through consulting firms or shell companies linked to Ajay Atul and Rajesh Gupta, mostly between 2009 and 2018. The term was used in a 2016 report by the then-public protector that laid out allegations of improper influence over South African politicians by the brothers. They deny any wrongdoing, describing the allegations against them as politically motivated. The Gupta's flamboyant lifestyles in Dubai, where they fled in 2018, rubbed salt in the wound. South Africans now have some hope of justice. On Monday, police in the United Arab Emirates arrested Atul and Rajesh in connection with money laundering and criminal charges. Yet, due process will probably not be swift. Expect a lengthy fight over extradition, and if that succeeds a drawn-out court case. Resisting the Invaders in Occupied Cities As part of the Ukrainian government's plans to launch a counterattack to retake the South, the country's underground army will be critical. Ukraine claims its partisans have killed more than 100 Russian soldiers in the occupied city of Melitopol, the unofficial capital of the resistance and they are activated elsewhere, too. In Izium, eight Russian soldiers purportedly died after eating pies spiked by a seemingly friendly old lady. Ukrainian authorities had hurriedly laid down the basic structure of an insurgency in the months before the war. The underground resistance mixes professional soldiers and volunteers. There is now a national network of secret arms dumps, safe houses, and potential sympathizers. A website published by the Special Operations Forces, which coordinates the fighters, 
offers advice about how to organize clandestine resistance, stick to a need-to-know basis, prepare an ambush, ensure clear escape routes, and cope with being arrested. Keep calm and hope for the best. Getting the Grain Out A visit to Serbia on Monday by Russia's foreign minister had to be abandoned after his plane was denied permission to travel through any of the airspace en route. But Sergei Lavrov may have better luck getting to Ankara on Wednesday. The Turkish capital is just a short hop across the Black Sea, a body of water which is also the focus of his visit. Mr. Lavrov will meet his Turkish counterpart, Mevlut Cavusholu, to discuss the creation of a safe corridor for ships carrying Ukrainian agricultural products. Pressure on Russia to end its blockade of Ukraine's ports is mounting. On Monday, Russia's ambassador to the United Nations stormed out of a Security Council meeting after the EU accused his country of causing a global food crisis. Turkey has offered to help clear the mines floating near the Ukrainian ports and to provide escorts to ships. Yet Turkey's reputation as an honest broker has been dented by accusations that it has bought grain Russia had stolen from Ukraine. America Before and After Roe v. Wade Pregnant? Need help? A flyer reads, Call Jane. In the 1960s and early 1970s, a group of women in Chicago helped other women obtain abortions, which were then illegal. To evade the law, members used Jane as a group pseudonym. The Janes, a documentary chronicling their clandestine activities, is released on Wednesday on HBO. The Jane's efforts began with a helpline directing women to sympathetic doctors, but the organization eventually performed abortions themselves, 11,000 of them. The collective disbanded in 1973 after the Supreme Court's ruling in Roe v. Wade established a legal right to abortion. After a draft of another Supreme Court opinion was leaked last month, Suggesting that the justices will soon overturn Roe, the film is a timely reminder of what parts of America could look like again. At least 13 states have trigger laws that would automatically ban almost all abortions if Roe were reversed. More could follow. Perhaps the Janes will rise again. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday who was the first African-American woman to be elected to the United States Congress. Tuesday. Which type of tea is named after a British prime minister? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Frank Lloyd Wright, who was born on this day in 1867. 
Less is only more where more is no good. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.